This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Sunday, August 14th, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. Democrats rattle off another big win in Congress. Could it turn the midterm tide? But at the end of the day, uh, you know, there's a lag on all this. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. It may seem early, but polls are being taken and conversations being had about 2024 and who would run on both sides of the aisle. In the case of Republicans, the former president overshadows other names, but there are still those other names. I am still a believer that one should never underestimate Mike Pence. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Beware the Ides of August. My friend and colleague Chad Pergram warns me every year, don't think the August recess will be sleepy in D.C. Well, we're not quite at the Ides of the month, but this past week proved Chad's point. Obviously, the Monday search by FBI agents of the Mar-a-Lago estate of former President Trump was a seismic story. But think about what else happened. President Biden signed a bipartisan chips bill, a major $50 billion-plus investment in the semiconductor industry. He also signed a bipartisan VA health care bill, expanding benefits for veterans exposed to toxins and war zone burn pits. By the end of the week, he had another hefty piece of legislation to sign, the Inflation Reduction Act, as Democrats are calling it. The Democratic budget bill passed without Republican support. It makes a record-setting investment in climate initiatives, raises taxes on large corporations, and sets new rules for Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices. Another transformative bill brought to you by your friendly neighborhood Democratic Party. That's New York Democrat Hakeem Jeffries, the caucus chair for House Democrats, setting up what you are likely to hear from candidates this summer and fall in election ads. Republicans, too, are eager to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act, warning about out-of-control spending that will drive up cost. In an army of new IRS employees, they say will target middle-class families and small businesses with audits. Here's Texas Republican Kevin Brady, the top Republican on the Tax Writing Ways and Means Committee. So how will Democrats collect $204 billion in more taxes with thousands of new agents targeting what I would call Walmart shoppers? You know them. They're real, hardworking American family. So let's talk with Chad Pergram, Fox News congressional correspondent, about this latest spending bill, the president's agenda, and what it all means for midterm messaging. Democrats are kind of getting most of the things that they wanted done legislatively done. I mean, that's kind of remarkable if you look at the math of this, because it is a 50-50 Senate. It is an almost narrowly divided, uh, almost evenly divided House of Representatives. Democrats can lose four votes on their side right now and still pass a bill. And so the fact that Democrats are getting many of these things done, that is significant. That is a big deal. Uh, But you're absolutely right. Uh, They have passed a lot of things that they set out to do, some of it controversial on the other side of the aisle. Okay, fine. But this is what Democrats said they were going to do. 
Last year, they passed the big $1.9 trillion COVID bill. They passed infrastructure. This is not build back better, but this is a, a flavor of this and has enough mm-hmm. provisions on the tax side and the climate side to, to satisfy progressives for the most part. Uh, they passed the first uh, firearms piece of legislation in nearly three decades. They passed uh, um, uh, the, the burn pits bill, bipartisan bill there. Uh, the computer chips, uh, semiconductors mm-hmm. bill passed that. So they're knocking a lot of stuff out here. Now, what is passed is prologue. This reminds <laughs> me a lot of something else. And you got to go back to 1993 and 1994. And Bill Clinton was then the president. And he passed the Brady Bill, which was the firearms bill, mm-hmm. the first background check waiting period bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, they passed a big economic stimulus in August of 93, which is part of their budget reconciliation package at that point. Uh, they passed NAFTA. They recessed for August because they were struggling to pass this crime bill, which had the assault weapons ban in it. And finally, the House, even though it was it, they, they, they it blew up on the floor, they came back later in August and passed it. So they had done most of their legislative agenda. And, Jared, what happened in the fall of 1994 to the Democrats? They got shellacked. Mm -hmm. They lost control of the House for the first time in 40 years, lost 54 seats. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Senate flipped. The point is, is that just because you pass a lot of these things doesn't mean that it resonates with the voters and doesn't mean that it resonates with the voters right away. It might resonate with the base. It certainly mm-hmm. might help get your base to the polls in this midterm election. What they did across the street at the Supreme Court regarding abortion probably helps the Democrats more than anything done in the Capitol to get voters to the polls. So legislatively, you're getting things done, at least in the Democratic uh, viewfinder here, but it may not resonate with voters. Well, and you've talked about that in the past, sort of, you know, how, how legislation sometimes like wine or, or I guess uh, scotch, it's got to age before you sort of know uh, the product, right? And it's not as if you talk about like this chips bill, right? A, a big bipartisan bill, Republicans on the South Lawn for the signing. But these factories aren't coming online today. They're not coming online next week. They're not coming online right. before before November, right? Uh, you look at a, a lot of what's in this uh, budget reconciliation bill, the uh, tax health care climate bill. Most of that spending is deferred for a couple of years. Yeah, it's going to take a while to sink in. And and this is where Democrats probably are playing with a little bit of fire. They call this the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act. And then Republicans, because it may not actually, A, reduce inflation, regardless of what the Democrats say. And it certainly might not do it before uh, the midterms. You know, the, the, the psychology of the midterms, that die has already been cast. Uh, for the most part. Now, Democrats have have begun to shrink the margin here. Some of the advantages which were Mm -hmm. given to Republicans, maybe winning 60 seats or something like that, that's probably not going to happen. There's some range now. It might be down to as low as 10 or 15 seats, which would certainly flip the House. Okay, fine. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, there's a lag on all this. I I remember, uh, you know, President uh, Bush 41, uh, they were, you know, you talk about the definition of a recession. They were out of the recession. The economy was growing while he was president. But guess what? It didn't make any difference in the mm-hmm. 1992 presidential election. And I remember when they kind of kind of went back and did the numbers later, like, well, you know, he didn't get credit for that, but probably he should have. So guess what? <laughs> Democrats might not get credit for this. Yeah. Let's talk about sort of, you know, we've talked about what they've done here in the last uh, several weeks. Uh, they're done, right? I mean, they're there's not a lick that's going to get done between now and, and November, right? I mean, I guess they got to fund the government, but you expect that's probably going to happen. Yeah, on yeah the short they, term. they so have the CR to fund the government. Just to get in the new, you know, like usually the the expectation is, well, let's just get it through, and, and the next Congress can handle that. 
Yeah, they have to fund the government. There's probably going to be two rounds of this, maybe one uh, right to keep the lights on December 30th and then something they pass in early December and then get into the new Congress. So probably two two bites at the apple on that front. That's something that they really have to be you know, aware of as to what, what what's happening. Uh, you know, so they don't step in it. I mean, the government shut down right before midterm elections. Pretty bad. Yeah. Um, and Republicans may not help them very much with that. That's something to to be aware of, mm-hmm. too. Uh, the one thing I would keep on the radar, and this has gurgled up over the past few days, and Jared, you have heard me say it many times, beware the Ides of August. <laughs> the House has come back they to came session. A, they came a little early this August, Chad. Yep, yep, yep. The, <laughs> the House has come back to session. The Senate was in for a weekend marathon session. And now what has happened, we've had this warrant at, at, at the, the former president's house in Florida. Right. And so Which came I about a week see, before the Ides, but your point remains. <laughs> yes. But I could see a scenario where somehow that impacts the one six committee investigation. Mm, it's okay. regardless of your politics. It's an extraordinary event, whether yes. or not it was fair or not. You could see this this filtering out, you know, and that was why it was very interesting to have you know the house come back right at this time because republicans were champing at the bit you know to get up there and and blast the fbi mm-hmm. um over how they handled this and and i thought you know something was very interesting and this is why this could filter out later in the month we don't know or something in september certainly with legislation you know because there's going to be a lot more shoes that are going to drop on this it was very interesting to have basically radio silence from members of the intelligence committee and other key republicans about you know threats to the FBI. So you had this fellow who showed up at the FBI field office in the Cincinnati suburb of Kenwood and, you know, had a nail gun, then drove like a bat out of hell to the cornfields of Clinton County, about an hour north of Cincinnati, finally, you know, dead. And it took until that press conference to have Mike Turner, who is the ranking Republican uh, on the Intelligence Committee, whose district is right there. He has Dayton. So this is east of his district to say anything about this. And Brad Wenstrup, who actually represents the area where the field office was, mind you. And if you listen to that press conference, Jared, they they, they put out kind of this, this boilerplate. Yes, we support the men and women of the FBI and we condemn violence and we don't want any harm to, to befall them. But then about the other 80 percent of the press conference was what? And you were there with me beating up the FBI. I don't know well, how specifically yeah. leadership. They, they spend a lot of time talking about leadership at the FBI. Right. Exactly. The seventh uh, floor, you know, and yeah. so on and so forth. Uh, yeah. But I don't so, know how th- that the public digests that. And I don't know if you're really trying to protect the integrity of the FBI and not get people uh, to, you know, this is like the guy who showed up at the pizza parlor here, you know, Comet mm-hmm. Ping Pong a couple of years ago in Washington, yeah. D.C. You know, if you're if you're foisting that sort of rhetoric out on people. You know, they're not going to hear we stand by the people of the FBI. They're going to hear the part the FBI is corrupt, which was a lot of that press conference. And that's where some people, frankly, are wondering about the integrity of the Republicans message and whether or not they are kind of fostering this violence, even with a you know wink and a nod. I'll say this. And obviously, the House was scheduled to come in the vote before uh, the Monday search of, of Mar-a-Lago. But um Probably not the news cycle Speaker Pelosi had hoped for on uh, on this Friday coming back in the session. Right, exactly. But you know what? Um, you know, it, it helps individual members maybe talk about this yes, in their does. districts. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, it, it does that. But you're right. Uh, you know, August always becomes its own animal. Beware the Ides of August. And here we are. And it wouldn't be su- surprising to me to have something else strange happened this month. I mean, we're not even halfway through. Well, we'll have these conversations throughout the month. No August recess for us. Huh, Chad? Take a, uh, get some rest. We'll talk soon. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. 
formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Thank you. Will he run again? The former president says he's made up his mind. Now it's all about the timing to announce his decision about 2024 before or after the midterms. Several polls show former President Trump is still the Republican Party favorite, but there are multiple other names being tossed around as possible 2024 GOP contenders. Last weekend at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference's meeting in Dallas, Trump won the straw poll with 69 percent, and he told those gathered the legal cases against him, which he characterized as persecution, would stop if he stayed home. But he said he can't do that because he loves his country and the people. And now we may have to do it again. We may have to do it again. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was in second place with 24 percent in the CPAC straw poll. Texas Senator Ted Cruz came in with 2 percent. Others, including former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, former South Carolina Governor and U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, and Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, all came in around 1%. So the names that come out are Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, and then a number of other names. Arnon Mishkin is the director of the Fox News Decision Desk. DeSantis is doing incredibly well um, in the polling. He's doing quite well in the straw polls, even times beating Donald Trump in polls or in some cases straw polls. Um, so he is a name that the Florida governor is very important. The other name you see, but even though that, that I think is very important to pay attention to is Mike Pence, um, the former vice president. He does quite poorly in the polls, a lot worse than you'd expect for someone with his name recognition. But I am still a believer that one should never underestimate Mike Pence. Um, he is in the greatest position, the position you want to be if you have a national following, which is um, and, and at this stage of the primary campaign or the election, the presidential campaign, which is he's underestimated. He's easy to underestimate. He's way smarter than people realize. And he is way um, he has deep strength amongst the evangelical community. So I would mm -hmm. never underestimate um, Mike Pence. Then there are a number of other names. There are the um, uh, the very prominent, successful women politicians. At you know, at the top of that list, I would put Nikki Haley the former governor of South Carolina, the former U.N. ambassador, 
I'd put Christy Noam, the governor of South Dakota, um, and I'd also put Lee Stefanik. Um, and mm. then you have the young and up and coming types, um, the Josh Hawley's of the world, the Tom Cotton's of the world, uh, who I, in the, in the Senate, who I think um, are clearly, when they shave, they see the next president of the United States for sure. Um, <laughs> but you know, what kind of campaign they can mount, we don't yet know. Um, and then there are a bunch of names that that um, that also sort of want to promote themselves. Rick Scott, who's running the national uh, the, the Senate campaign for the Republicans this year, the senator. Right. Um, he has shown himself to sometimes have a bit of a tin ear when it comes to politics. But we'll see if this if the Republicans win the Senate. I think a lot of the credit is going to go to Rick Scott and he'll try to take it to Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, Mike Pompeo, the former secretary of state. Um, who clearly is running and has um, been very successful. Um, and then there are a number of names of people who are likely our media favorites um, because of who they are or what they stand for. But I'm not certain how much traction they're going to get in the Republican primary, but I can guarantee you they'll get a lot of coverage. Um, uh, people like Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, Liz oh. Cheney, who is likely to lose on Tuesday in, in uh, Wyoming, but who has clearly made a name of herself as the anti-Trump and who I think has a huge following amongst the media. Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire, and Asa Hutchinson, the governor of Arkansas. Um, all the, of these people are sort of represent sort of traditional Republicans. But at the same time, their um, standing vis-a-vis -vis Trump make, gives them a certain media cachet. I don't know how much cachet they're going to get in the Republican primary, um, but uh, but I can imagine we're going to hear from them uh, as this campaign evolves. Let's talk about the unofficial um, straw poll results from CPAC last weekend. Um, overwhelmingly, as we know, the participants there went with Trump. It was like 69 percent. And I think DeSantis got like 24 percent. But there is some polling showing some parts of the Republican Party might be moving away from Trump. The, the Siena College poll recently found that 64% um, of primary voters under 35 and 65% of those with a college degree may want to go with somebody else. I know in, in those cases, especially among younger folks, DeSantis is maybe the more popular alternative. But when you see even slight demographic shifts um, in Trump's favorability, how much does that matter at this stage, knowing we're two years away? You know, <laughs> only one thing can defeat Donald Trump, and that's Donald Trump. Uh, and, um, you know, Donald Trump, to me, is is proof of the old adage, that which doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. And yes, there are some, some signs that um, Trump's support is abating. But on the other hand, he is continually gets attacked, um, either attacked or um, the, the latest is this um, search warrant of Mar-a-Lago. And the reaction to that search warrant amongst Republicans only prove that adage that if they don't get him on this, he is going to be even stronger than he was before. And it, to me, I would look at the outcome of whatever happens with this this subpoena uh, or this warrant um, as more important than what you're seeing in any polls. Because if he's able to show that this is, in fact, overreached by the Department of Justice or, or what have you, if he is able to sort of um, maintain his strength in the Republican Party, it's going to be stronger than ever. On the other hand, you know, the thing about Donald Trump is, you know, he's been we had the, the Russia investigation. We had the impeachment investigation over Ukraine. We had the second impeachment over January 6th. Um, he has never been defeated by this. And in fact, he's come out even stronger um, in terms of his support of, his, of the base. 
And so until um, something happens that causes the base to leave him, I think he is a very powerful player. And, and I think that the Republicans, even those people who would rather he sort of would like to give him a nice gold watch and have him retire, they know they can't do that because he, he really does have solid support amongst a segment of the, a very solid, large segment of the Republican Party. And, and it's not just that they, that they support him. They are also the, the kind of people, the kind of voters who are least likely to vote. Um, and so therefore, and they know that Donald Trump brings them out. So a lot mm. of Republicans feel the need to sort of, um, we need this guy because we need his people coming out to the polls. Let's not forget the Republicans did really well in 2020 if they didn't have the name Donald Trump. They won. They did better in the Senate than anyone thought. They won seats in the House that, and people didn't expect that to happen. And the reason they did that was because Trump brought those people to the polls and they had the sliver of, you know, sort of Republican or center right people who didn't like Donald Trump and didn't vote for Donald Trump, but they voted Republican down ballot. And that's the reason Republicans did so well. And and what they want to do in 2022 and in 2024 is replicate that. How do we get the Trump base out and get some other people? Um, and that's the, the thing that any candidate is running against Donald Trump needs to navigate. Time will tell, but but do the, the president's legal troubles, and you just referenced it, uh, even now, as you know, with the New York Attorney General and the Georgia, the Fulton County, Georgia investigation, uh, the Trump Organization's CFO, Alan Weisselberg, has to stand trial. When you look at all of that, what does all of that do to voters? You just said that if he walks out of this Mar-a-Lago situation, you know, the, the, the warrant served on Mar-a-Lago and he's able to show like this was, you know, a nothing burger that, that like you said, he'd emerge stronger. Right. But. For the broad voter base, um, including moderates and independents, how how do these legal troubles or issues manifest for for independents and, and moderate voters, or does it remain to be oh, seen? I, like it remains to be seen, but I would say, as a general rule, that the sort of center of the country, the moderates, the independents, the sort of conservative people, you know, um, uh, moderately conservative. Uh, voters, the people who elect Republicans, um, who at the margin, those people would love to move on. They think it's just too much chaos. They always believed that about Donald Trump. And, you know, one of the reasons that Joe Biden won was it was, you know, Donald Trump called him Sleepy Joe. And I think for a lot of those people, they thought, yeah, that's good. We don't want chaos. It's too much chaos. No, enough nonsense. Ah. Let's just let's let's calm down. And so that's so, yes, I agree with you that that at the center in the this sort of independent voter or the swing voter, if you will, they don't like all this stuff. They think, why do we need a president who gets into so much issues with the uh, legal issues and what have you? Um, you know, the, the tweets and all the other the stuff that, that follows Donald Trump around. But there's an element of the, of the party, you know, Trump's base. I won't say they, they love this, but they, it, it addresses a lot of their issues that they have with the challenges of America today um, and the sort of uh, the, the, the resentments that, that that Donald Trump represents. And they see, I mean, in, in, the, in the eloquent words of National Review, Donald Trump is the middle finger to the establishment that hurts me. And, and, I, and I think there's a lot of truth in what the National Review wrote about Trump, which is, and it was basically an endorsement of him, that this is the guy who's going to fight for me and he's going to fight for me, even though everyone wants to take him down. And so until they take him down, 
they're with him. And if anything, the fact that he continues to win these battles, these uh, Herculean battles, actually um, gives him more strength with that group of voters. Now, we, Arnon, we know that um, the relationship a person has to President Trump matters in many situations, especially in primaries with Republican voters. But there are some Republicans who found, you know, their own path sort of outside of the Trump orbit. And I think the most notable would be maybe Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. Like he welcomed Trump's endorsement, right? But he didn't campaign with him. And then he just focused on issues that he perceived mattered in that moment to a lot of Virginians, especially education issues. What is the path for whoever wants to run if, if Trump is, is there? I, it's, a, it's a thin path. I think that, that the path you have to, that I would argue is, first off, I think all Republicans would love to run on Trump, the Trump policies. Um, that, you know, that the majority, no matter what happens to Donald Trump with uh, whether these legal issues amount to much or what, um, there will always be support amongst Republicans for the economic growth that, that occurred during the Trump Trump era, the taxes that occur, the tax reductions that, that Trump was able to push through and that the Democrats haven't been able to stop, the judges that he appointed, the deregulation, all that those economic policies, those are a real positive. Um, I think that there is, you know, continued, if you can figure out a way to navigate that your support for those policies with some distance from the, 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 the conflicts that occurred right. during the Trump era, uh, culminating in January 6th, I think that's, that is a solid path. And frankly, there's one guy who can do it easily, and that's Mike Pence. Because, he, because of what happened to him on January 6th, and because of who he has been, was for the four years of the Trump administration as vice president, he is easily able to sort of appeal you want Trump policies without the January 6th stuff? I'm there. Um, and so that's why, I, even though he doesn't seem to have a lot of uh, support in the polls today, that's why I think he may be uh, the sleeper candidate in, in 24 and why I would never underestimate him. The other candidate who I think the other avenue to do that is to sort of demonstrate that you are the, the sort of sane version of Trump's cultural wars. Um, and that's what Ron DeSantis is doing. Um, and he is seen as a very smart um, individual. Um, he has battled the establishment in much the way, same way that Trump battled the establishment. He battled the establishment over COVID restrictions. And I think most people think he did was quite successful in that. The polling suggests that. He's battled the establishment, Disney Company and all the rest on this sort of democratic wokeness. And because he is outside of Washington, he's not really been part of all the sort of negativity um, mm. that's been there. And so I think that's one of the reasons he's very strong. When you hear Republicans say, and several in leadership positions have said, you know, it'd be healthy to have an, a primary with a, a lot of candidates, with a lot of debate. It sounds like there's a lot of openness to having, you know, even if Trump is on the ticket or running in a primary, there's a lot of openness, it sounds like, among Republicans now who have elected positions to having another debate about who's the best candidate, you know, that it, in other words, that even if it seems like a foregone conclusion, let's go through the rigmarole, let's go through the debate process and, and duke it out um, in, a, in a traditional primary fashion and have multiple voices, um, that that's, you know, there's some folks saying that that would be healthy. Uh, do you think that I, what, happens? I, I, look, I think anytime 
all primary debates to me are healthy for America and they're healthy for America. They're also healthy for the, for the candidate. I'm one of those people who believe if you emerge from a violent and violent, a, a very high conflict primary, you become stronger in the general because you, you're seen as a, a giant slayer. Um, so, mm. yes, I think I think that that's right. I would also ask what the real motivation is of some of those people, because the reality is if it's a multi-candidate field, you'll have Donald Trump, who has a very solid base, and that base is not going to go away. Then you'll have a number of other candidates. They may be fighting for more than 50 percent of the vote, but they could be dividing up that vote and allowing Donald Trump to win the nomination because his folks will never go away. That's what we saw in 2016. Um, that there were all these candidates who clearly, you know, there were a lot of people in the Republican primary weren't satisfied that Donald Trump should be the nominee. But those votes were all cut up between Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and Chris Christie for a time and, and various other folks. And they, you know, the, the anti-Trump group was never able to coalesce around a single candidate. And that gave um, Donald Trump the victory. Finally, Arnon, an independent journalist I love. She's in the Seattle area. Her name's Brandy Cruz. She tweeted midweek, it's August 2022. We don't elect the next president until November 2024. This is already exhausting. One of the comments on that thread said, it's the media. The media is keeping us in this cycle. Is it us? Are we to blame for these conversations seemingly getting earlier and earlier like the one we just had? Or is this more of a unique situation because of how Trump left office and, and Republicans wanted to start having this conversation almost immediately? Or is it both? Uh, I, <laughs> I want you to invite me back, so I'm not going to blame the media. <laughs> I, no, I will say I'll blame the White House or credit the White House. I don't know. Um, because everyone always complains about the White House's messaging. I think the fact that Joe Biden is so, for lack of a better term, boring, you know, he doesn't generate the kind of coverage that typically presidents in their first two years are able to generate. He doesn't generate that this, even though the Democrats, despite their very thin margins on, on Capitol Hill, appear to have been able to accomplish quite a bit in terms right. of legislation. Some of it bipartisan, some of it just forcing it through from the Democratic side. But we don't pay a lot of attention to it. Um, instead, we focus on Donald Trump. Um, and we focus on and we focus on Donald Trump. We talk about the politics and we talk about should Biden run again uh, or is he too old? And we focus on who the who the alternatives are on the Democratic side, who the alternatives are on the Republican side. And and I think so. I'll blame to a certain extent the uh, Joe Biden folks. Um, I'll blame the Department of Justice because, you know, the, and the sort of to me, an example of um, Democratic or White House stupidity. Um, they had a great week last week. Um, on, on Sunday, they finally got the victory of their climate change bill. And mm -hmm. on Monday, they decided, let's change the subject. Let's, uh, let's have a, uh, a, a search warrant for Donald Trump. And so all the media starts focusing on Donald Trump rather than focusing on um, whether or not the, the climate change bill is good or a victory for Joe Biden. Geniuses at work. Arnon Mishkin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. That will do it for this week's Fox News Rundown from Washington. Next week, the calendar at least suggests another quiet August recess week. Congress is out. President Biden spends a few more days out of town. But as we have seen over the last several days, 
The news cycle does not take a break. So we will continue to probe everything about the Mar-a-Lago search and cover some big primaries, including if Liz Cheney, the Wyoming Republican who has fallen out of favor with the House GOP leadership over her work on the January 6th committee, can overcome a strong primary challenge. Polls suggest she can't. And in Alaska, former governor and former VP nominee Sarah Palin is trying to win a House seat. We'll have results in those races. Until then, I hope you stay healthy, stay safe, and stay in touch with those you care about. For all of us at Fox News Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Jared Halpern from Washington. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.